Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, episode number 28, I think. It's Pulp Fiction. I'm Cav. I'm Dave. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. We are fallouts from Liverpool who like to sit around and bitch about films. You could say we're Echo and the Honey Bunny Men. Very good. Thank you very much. Worked hard on that one. And as usual, we're joined by our regular George Martin of the group. It is Austin Ray. Hello, Austin. Hi, hello, everyone. Thank you very much. If you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. Also, there'll be rubbish impressions, biffy songs, news, trivia, and a whole host of hilarious shenanigans. But before we get on to the bulk of the show, I think it's time for a little bit of news. So hang on, guys. Nice. Lovely. Thanks. Big, big Dale will be proud, mate. Yeah, w- once again, that was uh, uh, learning it on the toilet job about three <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> so so uh, what we do here is we all go around in a circle and we each pick a bit of news that has piqued our interest this week. So without further hesitation, Alex, what's your piece of news for the week, please? Uh, my piece of news is about the film Annihilation that's coming up in 2018. It's uh, got Natalie Portman in its uh, starring role, uh, and it's by, for me, the big draw is Alex Garland is um, writing it, I think, uh, and he did a, an amazing job with uh, Ex Machina. He's an amazing writer. He's done some of the best novels, like he did uh, The Beach, which is a really good novel. Different to the film. I quite like the film, but it's different to it, so I'd say if you've watched the film and you don't fancy it, don't worry about it. Still read the book. Did The Tesseract, and he did Coma, which is one of the best books I've read. Uh, and yeah, I think his film, you know, Ex Machina was a bit of a departure for him. I think he went, I think, did he direct Ex Machina or he, I can't remember, but he, he he's done some screenplays, but he, he's really strong. I loved Ex Machina. And so he's sticking with sci-fi and he's making Annihilation with Natalie Portman, um, which I'm super, super excited about. Good trailer, maybe says a little bit too much than it should, as always. But um, basically it seems to be about like a, a disaster zone, a mysterious remote sealed off zone. And they go and explore it, basically. So, uh, yeah, massively excited for this film. Definitely. I mean, I really liked Ex Machina. Uh, he did direct that, uh, as yeah. my good friend Gary Google tells me. Um, but, yeah, I, I, re- I really liked it, to be honest. It took me about three attempts to actually watch it. Why? Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, like, I started the film, and it was just one of those things, you know, where you're just not in the mood for it. And so many people had told me that it was an amazing film and I needed to watch it. And I put it on and then I was just like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it was. I think it's quite a slow burner. Yeah, I think it, that's it, what it was. It takes a little yeah. while to, you know, to, to get into it. It's not much happened in Ex Machina, really. Yeah. But it's very, quite a thrill ride, to be honest. Very an intense thriller, I thought. Definitely. Well, I mean, I, I'd seen up to the part where essentially he gets to the guy's mansion yes. and as you said it is a very like slow pace yeah, yeah, beginning yeah. but it's it's more about you know it's, it's well it's just three characters really isn't it yeah mm-hmm. but it's not not afraid it's a film that's not afraid to pull like it doesn't pull its punches at no, all no. story-wise so definitely definitely one of the um the best films of 2015 i thought Definitely. and uh it brought us to the forefront alicia vikander um who i think is fantastic actress oh was she the was she the robot yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's laura croft yeah she is now yeah. brilliant okay well and she won uh, best uh, actress oscar for um her B- role. best supporting for oh, best danish supporting. girl the danish girl yeah oh so mm-hmm. yeah great great stuff 
Thank you, Alex, for your bit of news. Joel, would you like to tell us your bit of news for the week, please? Thank you very much. Okay, so mine is the most anticipated films of 2018. So they did a little poll, and in first place by a long way, does anyone want to guess what it is? It's pretty obvious. Jurassic Park? Nope. Is it the Han Solo spin-off for Star Wars? Nope. Is it Avengers Infinity War? Yeah, so Infinity Wars Ah. is top by a fairly long way, uh, followed by (laughs) Black Panther, then Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and then there's Deadpool 2, Solo, the Star Wars stories number five, and then Incredibles two and Fantastic Beasts. So two. they are Fantastic Beasts two, yeah. So they are the most anticipated film so far, but it's pretty much just dominated there by fantasy and superheroes, really. And, and sequels, it's all sequels, all yeah. sequels. No one's excited about anything original coming, <laughs> to the, uh, coming to the table. But that said, you know, I think when I think of 2018 I nearly said 16 then like Infinity Wars is definitely the one that I want to see and uh, Black Panther it says that audience audiences are demanding more diverse casts and stories so I thought that was fairly nice to read if that is true that is good that is good to hear I'm, I'm not excited about either film so I, I think I probably wouldn't go and see it if I didn't go and see it with you guys so I don't know I'm, I, Infinity Wars just I think Anything they can do there is just have a massive call of characters, like which apparently they might be doing. They might be doing. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm quite excited about it. Yeah, a lot of um, contradictory pieces of news are coming out, aren't they? You know, so it's saying like Robert Downey Jr. hasn't signed up for another film. Mm-hmm. Then there's one saying, yeah, he's definitely going to be in Iron Man four. There's one saying that you know Chris Hemsworth's contract is coming to an end, and one that he hasn't. You yeah, know. I read I read one saying Chris Evans has always said like the last year or two that he's kind of wanting to diverse diversify a little bit from playing Captain America. And now I read a piece of news the other day saying actually. He's quite enjoying playing Captain America and he wouldn't be adverse to continuing the role. I was going to say, when you got a role like that, when you got this big cash cow... Yeah, so I'm not sure if they're just releasing this to keep people guessing type of thing or if it is genuinely how he feels. But, you know, it, someone's going to die, aren't they? And I think a lot of people... Uh, I think it could possibly be one of them things like they did it with The Walking Dead. I think they did it with Game of Thrones where they actually record and film a segment of different characters dying even though they know oh, that's yeah. not going to happen like right. the walking dead they recorded i think it was maggie getting killed even though they didn't use that piece of footage it was just Spoiler. a kind of uh, throw <laughs> throw people off the scent type of thing and i think game of thrones they did it with a certain character as well and um, so maybe they could possibly do something like that they also did it with um the uh, christmas eastenders episodes who <laughs> 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 shot phil mitchell <laughs> Remember so many times. Phil, Phil Mitchell got shot. I, this is about ten years ago, maybe oh. more. To be honest, the last time I started watching he's, these, he's fine. He's fine now. Spoiler: He's fine. <laughs> uh, well, so much has happened to Phil Mitchell. They had to record alternate endings for each one of his storylines over the past fifteen years. To be <laughs> honest. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Joel. Thank you very much, uh, Dave. What's your piece of news for the week? Uh, well, I want to go back to a, a news story I mentioned just a couple of weeks ago. I think about uh, Dexter Fletcher taking on the job for the new uh, Freddie Mercury biopic. And I remember a few of us said, you know, um, we've not seen much from Dexter Fletcher, but what little we've seen is exciting. How we were really uh, quite, there's a lot of anticipation about him taking the helm of this big film. Uh, scratch all of that, he's off the project. Oh, within, no. Within a number of weeks, he has left the project. That is, he, it. is it by his choice? Or? Uh, mutual consent, as mm, I gather, between no him and the producers. Producers, like we were saying before, including uh, Brian May and the rest of Queen. 
So I'm not quite sure whether he, his vision didn't fit into theirs. But I think it's a real shame. And it seems to be now I'm getting worried that this film is, seems to be churning through directors. You know, another one bites the dust. I think I'm going to call this Ooh. new segment. <laughs> but um, go into one. I I don't think it's a good idea to have the band so close to the production of the film. I, I think they should have a step back away from actually picking I directors. I, I, they're, they're you know good musicians but it doesn't mean they, they know how to make a film I think when it comes to telling the story as well obviously they were there they knew all the backstage stuff they know what really went on with the band but the people watching this film won't know any of that they've got a very glossy image of what they think the band is to be and really they're the people that you're making the film for yeah. you're not making it for the guys behind the scenes an authentic yeah it's, a, it's an entertainment it's got to it? be authentic but it's got to be entertaining yeah. at the same time and it's got to be a story that people want to be told and I don't think if you're too close to it I think you need to step away. It's like we were saying with Stephen King and his novels. Mm. The further away that man walks away from any film adaptations of his is, work, yeah. the better it will be. How, how, how close was he for The Dark Tower? Um, judging by the reviews of The Dark Tower, I think he was sat in the director's chair. <laughs> I'm not too sure. but He was in The Dark Tower the entire time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so the release date's been pushed back to the 28th of December next year. Mm. So, uh, sort of Bohemian Rhapsody, that is. Mm. So it just keeps on creeping further and further away. Didn't Remy Malik fall out with people as well? Like he's playing Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I heard that he wasn't happy with how things were going. It just sounds like a complete disaster, to it, be honest. The fact that we know all of this is a disaster because no, people must I be mean, leaking. There was talks about when Star Wars was going through direct, you know, that solo story, mm. and there was like, well, it's because it's a big film, you know, it's highly anticipated. Of course, people are going to be watching attentively to see what's going on on set. With this, it's not quite the same level of anticipation, I don't think, so it really is concerning. Mm. It doesn't. I mean, even that Star Wars one that you just mentioned, I read a piece saying Disney are actually expecting that to not do very well. Really? Even though it's, you know, just because of what Dave mentioned there, it's kind of gone through several different directors, you know, cast members have spoken out, so it doesn't really sound great. For it doesn't them. sound like they've made a particularly good film and they know it. Yeah, mm. it doesn't sound great for this Queen film, does it? And the first picture of Rami Malek looked, looked great as mm. well. It did. It did. It really just. Uh, it, Maybe they should you, quit there. If you told me it was Freddie Mercury, I could have believed it. Yeah, let's just do stills. Yeah. Let's make like a slideshow collage of everything. That'll do. Just make a remake of the Bohemian Rhapsody video starring Rami Malek. <laughs> and maybe try and do Live Aid. <laughs> okay, so my piece of news for the week is that the first image has been released from the new X Men film, X Men Dark Phoenix, which is due for release next year, I think about November. So um, it, it's basically just a, a still of Michael Fassbender as Magneto lying down and he looks like he's just been absolutely battered. You know, his arm has all fallen off. He's covered in blood and dirt. Um, so it's sort of like what, what could have got him into that sort of state? Um, looks like a big piss up, to be honest. But maybe it was a fight. <laughs> he had a very Phil Mitchell Christmas did Michael Fassbender <laughs> he was just having a lie down on the floor <laughs> um, so yeah so the film is set in 1992 which is roughly a decade after Apocalypse fin- finished and it finds the X-Men dealing with being heroes so it's all about them having you know a lot of um, acclaim for the actions of Apocalypse and People are looking at them as, as superheroes now and how they actually deal with that um, and, and the side effects that it causes. Um, so one of the side effects is that Charles Xavier, played by James McAvoy, um, he starts developing quite a big ego and he starts sending the team on more and more dangerous missions. And one of them includes a mission in space, which ends up with um, Grey uh, going to some very dark places. So um, Jean Grey is played by Sophie Turner. Uh, and that's what the film is is supposed to be about so it's called dark phoenix so i imagine it's going to be about the 
Phoenix arc with um, Jean Grey's character, which was last attempted in X-Men 3, The Last Stand, mm. which was... Attempted. A, yeah, a complete pile of human waste. But I, I did read a piece saying it was meant to be a, a very, very dark film and they were taking a dark twist, which is meant to be like a cool thing these days, isn't it? Especially with superhero films like DC tried to do it. And I've pretty much failed spectacularly. Whenever I hear that, we go into a dark. It doesn't fill me with confidence. The one anymore. thing which put an absolute downer on the X Men films for me, which I never really thought about, is it was just a comment on Facebook as well about it. And it was top of the comments list. It was some guy, and he basically said, Just remember, Logan is how the X Men end. All the mutants are dead. Charles Xavier is dead. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, I just thought it's kind oh, yeah. of like. You know, The Last Jedi, you know what happens to Luke now? He he's a, turns into a bit of a, a bitch. And uh, it just kind Boiler. of puts, puts, puts like a, bit of a, a bit of a downward spiral on it for me. Well, yeah, because yeah, you watch the first three films and you just think, oh, well, it just ends up with him going to an island yeah, for decades. Yeah, I mean, they're decades. trying to save all the mutants and they all fucking die anyway. Well, you do realise that they will have an answer for that already and any money it'll be something like, oh, well, there's lots Alternative of, reality. Al- yeah, alternative realities oh, no, have been made. No, but honestly, joking. that's what they'll say. There's no, alternative yeah. realities have been made from when the X-Men went back in time, no, no, days no. of future but past. Then nothing that. matters. Really yeah, but I mean, yeah. then nothing matters anymore. You know, it doesn't matter what what actions are done because they'll just go back to an alternate. It, 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 the stakes are so low when you start messing around with keep characters jump, dying. Shot. <laughs> or jumping sharks or jumping into alternate realities. It's like, well, then I don't care because anything can happen. Well, some, somebody asked Hugh Jackman whether he'd be considering um, coming back to the no. role of Wolverine now that um, Disney have got the rights and they might try and include them in the Infinity Wars. But he said no. He, he said he, he's out of the game. So Thank you, Hugh Jackman. I know, like, he's finished on a high, hasn't he? So. Yeah. He has, he has. Marvel, so, Marvel yeah. doesn't need more characters. Hugh, Hugh Jackman doesn't need Marvel. No. So anyway, thank you very much for the news, guys. Um, so that was the news. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> Man, this fat sausage thing. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to actually buy a xylophone that I can just play. <laughs> right, okay, anyway. So, as we said earlier... This week we are putting Pulp Fiction on trial. So this uh, is, sounds like it's going to be a bit of a tough one because Pulp Fiction is such an iconic film. But actually speaking to a number of people on Twitter and in person, there's very mixed feelings about uh, Pulp Fiction. And it was actually a fan suggestion that was, has been in the half for a while now. So it's, it's been a while to actually get round to this. So I'm quite looking forward to it. So just to give people a bit of a context, um, in the role of defence is going to be Captain Dave, who's going to try his best to get the film placed on the hit list. Uh, in the role of prosecutor this week, we've got Alex, who's going to be trying to condemn the film and put it on the shit list. In the role of character witness is me. I'm just going to be lending my genuine opinion behind each one of the arguments, throw a bit of a weight behind it. And then we've got the judge, who's going to be played by Joel. And his role is to listen to both arguments and then decide which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments and not using his own opinion. So, to give a more of a context as to what the film is about, I figure I should probably read out the synopsis. Um, so, so this this week, guys, uh, how would you like me to Great. read it out? Um, um, see, we've already done Christopher Walken. He would have been my first Bruce choice. Bruce Willis's French girlfriend. 
Travolta. Okay, Travolta. It might I'm s- say that could offend a whole country. There. <laughs> okay, uh, Travolta. <laughs> or just offend John Travolta. Easy. I'm fine with that. The, the, the lives of two mob-hit men, a boxer, a gangster's wife, and a pair of dino bandits entwined in, in four tales of violence and redemption. That's just a terrified Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard. That, that, that was pretty good, which is essentially John Travolta. <laughs> Sandy Moon. Sorry, yeah. Uh, sorry, John. <laughs> I'm not sorry, John. That's what you get for the Punisher. <laughs> anyway, right. Uh, so, uh, without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to kick off proceedings, please? Oh, I'll. It'll kick off, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is there anybody who particularly would like to go first? Uh, No, Judge's choice, I think. Don't mind. Um, Okay, I will pass it over to Alex. Okay. Um, Right, so this Pulp Fiction was created by, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And the problem with Pulp Fiction is Quentin Tarantino. Like, I, you know, in this film, what he's done is he's created the gimmick that he would go on to use over and over and over again in pretty much all of his films. What he does is he builds up tension through over-stylized dialogue and it sort of puts the audience to sleep and then he jolts the audience awake with gratuitous violence. You know, it, it does work in on some levels in this film, but it just, he keeps going over it again and again and again and again and it's just the same gimmick that just sort of, by the end of a film he's almost running out of shock that he can do. It, it, he just uses violence to shock audiences. And if you took the violence away from Quentin Tarantino films, he actually couldn't make a film. He uses violence purely just to keep momentum in his films. You know, by the end of Pulp Fiction, this constant just, you know, slow talking, slow talking, and then followed with sadism. But by the end, it's just become wearing and repetitive. Um, and by the you know you know by the time we get to Ving Rhames when he's being raped by a gimp cult, it's like Quentin Tarantino himself has just ran out of ideas on way to shock or to, to shock the audience. You know, it starts with the Samuel Jackson delivering a sermon and then shooting people, which I, you know I didn't find. I, I just find it particularly unpleasant and sadistic, and I think it sort of glorifies sick violence in in this film which for for me I I didn't like you know there are I will concede to Dave I think already there are truly memorable and effective scenes in this in the film but which you do remember when you look at look back at it but they're quite sporadic and when you think of those it the the whole film is about two and a half, half hours long and it's yeah, it's sporadically effective, but it's not actually effective all the way through the films. And the, and there's long patches of dialogue, especially in the Bruce Willis story, that are very tedious. So with the cab driver, it's just quite tedious. I find his the the, the girlfriend again, just lots of talking and and nothing really being said, and it it's just over over scripted. You know, he, like I said, he just cannot he can't make a film without the rush of violence to keep his audience entertained. And, you know, if you take away this violence from the characters, you, they're just characters that love the sound of their own voices and the story just doesn't have much momentum. Quentin Tarantino himself just relies wholly on knowledge gained from films. Like, he, that, that, you know, he was a clerk store when he was coming up and coming and he's just watched so many films. But his actual experience of things, his research of films, so when he's, you know, doing a film about 
gang violence. His research is just to watch films in the past. He has no actual personal say. And that's the thing, he has nothing to say in his films, and especially, you know, in Pulp Fiction as well. But, you know, if you look at some of his other films, this was really apparent. You know, Django Unchained, I absolutely despise, because he's, he's treating the subject of slavery as a spaghetti western. You know, that's all, that's, this, he's only in into talking about slavery is to do a spaghetti western of it, which I find offensive, actually. And, you know, the, the Holocaust as well in Inglorious Bastards, that just becomes a World War Two gung-ho team adventure, you know? But there's no point to any of it. And in Pulp Fiction, it's the same thing. It's all style and there's zero substance. There's nothing he has to say at all. You know, in the film, he sees drug addiction and he goes straight to an overdose, you know? So that's, that's, his, that's the way he talks about drugs in his films. He just goes straight to an overdose and someone being, you know, that shock of the adrenaline in the heart. You know, he thinks about Vietnam and he puts a watch in a rectum. You know, he goes straight to that POW stuff. You know, it's just not... He's not got any subtlety to him and he's got... He's just got no point in this film. And, uh, you know, I think he could have got away with it if he just made Pulp Fiction, but the more Tarantino makes, the more it becomes obvious that he has nothing to say. Okay, uh, Dave, over to you. Yeah, um, first of all, I want to refute the fact that this is it's a gimmick. Tarantino is well known for his punchy dialogue and his, maybe some might say, excessive use of violence, his unflinching use of violence. I think that you call it a gimmick, that's not really doing it fair. It's like a calling card. It's like there's nothing wrong with having something that is distinct about your work, you know, something where people can, can tell, like, Tim Burton's got his kind of gothic scenery and gothic imagery. Tarantino's got his punchy dialogue and his unflinching violence. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And his violence, can I just say, is not as shocking as it perhaps could be. Um, quite often with his violence, he, he turns the camera away. It's like uh, when Samuel Jackson and, and uh, John Travolta shoot uh, one of the characters in, in that in the flat at the start of the film, you don't actually see him getting shot. The camera goes away and it's on Samuel Jackson. Same with Reservoir Dogs, that notorious scene with the ear cutting off. You actually don't see that happen. The camera pans away. He actually gives the audience a bit of a break from some of his violence. It's not as bad as it could be when you really think about it. But he does go that extra mile and he does come up with some stuff that I don't think uh, many film directors would. Um, I just want to stress, this is not about Django Unchained. Mm. <laughs> that, we'll, we'll do that another time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like that quote, though. It's a Spike Lee quote. He called, he yes. called it Conspiracy West. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite a good quote, but this is about Pulp Fiction. Now, Pulp Fiction, I want to talk about the script, funnily enough, to carry on from the Tarantino discussion there, because the script, I think, is where this film really, really carries off and what really sets it aside from many other films. It's a very interesting take on how to write a screenplay. It's a very original, at the time, very original way to, to take the narrative and keep it kind of circular. It becomes a narrative out of chronological order. It breaks the linear structure and it forces the audience to pay attention. According to Tarantino, this was his aim. He wanted um, the audience to have to pay attention to it. He says more often than not, people's attention uh, spans are lacking somewhat, especially when it's a film that is mostly dialogue. So he said, if you play with the plot structure and take people out of their comfort zone, they have no choice. To ha- they have to engage. And you know what? It worked. And people enjoyed it. They were very happy to engage. It's, uh, and he said he really enjoyed going to test screenings and watching people like leaning forward, keeping up with the plots. Like, I've really got to, I've got to, this isn't, this isn't my usual Hollywood plot structure. And that's what I like about it. The fact that this is one of the most original ideas to come out of Hollywood in a long time. And it has been massively influential, not just on indie films, but on mainstream cinema as well. I mean, how often do we see this film being parodied? 
how often do you hear uh, part, parts of the script have made their way into popular culture in a huge way? This film was huge, absolutely huge. And I think a lot of that is down to how original it was. Don't let the parodies that now go on and the, uh, the, the mimics that are out there now reflect the fact that this film was a pioneering film. Back in 1994, when it first came out, people stood up and said, this is one of the greatest films ever made. And maybe now, us seeing it now, and we've seen all the parodies that have come along, we've seen people try to do their own take on it. We are missing something from that original 1994 release. But if you put this into the context of the time it was released, this was a masterpiece. And I think a lot of that is down to the script. Like I say, and there's some really good dialogue in there. It toes the line between natural dialogue, uh, by which it's like the people are having conversations about burgers or they're having conversations about anything it's conversations that you believe people could have but it's still unnatural dialogue in that they are far wittier than any of us could dream to be it's like conversations do not flow this well monologues you do not get to to speak for so long without being interrupted you know it's it's natural but unnatural it toes the line brilliantly i think and there's some great lines in there i think samuel jackson's ezekiel uh 2517 speech has gone down as one of the best speeches in cinema history and all he's doing is quoting the bible but the way he delivers it is fantastic and little quotes like i'm gonna go medieval on your ass those quote in that Ving Rhames scene, which, which you know, say what you will about that scene, it was original. I don't think anyone had dared done a scene like that before. It was original, it was shocking, and it was something that people hadn't seen before, and it was actually kind of tastefully done for what it, for what Dave, it was. It was not a tasteful scene. <laughs> that scene is not to cut Dave. That is not a tasteful scene. <laughs> when you consider what is going on in that scene, it was done as well as it could be. I, I don't think you can... If you had to say that whole sentence, Dave, you would say that the <laughs> the rape by a gimp cult was tastefully done. When you, look, when you look at it in black and white, that was the best <laughs> that scene could have played out, to be honest with you. And there's other little great things, like the, uh, the Roy Albert Cheese conversation is a big part of cinema now. And you know, even the little lines like when uh, Samuel Jackson's talking about calming people down in the uh, the diner robbery he's talking about th- we're going to be like three little Fonzies everyone's going to calm down little quotes like that have made the way into pop culture and this scene uh, and this script is iconic there is no denying it okay Alex I think you want to uh, rebuff a few yeah just the one thing Dave you know Dave was saying it's it's not a gimmick it's a calling card but it is a gimmick and it's a gimmick because he needs it to propel his films Tarantino could not make a non-violent film. He needs violence. He needs that rush for the audience to sort of cover over the cracks and the lack of substance within. So he he needs violence to end his scenes, to make things go, because he just couldn't do a film without it. Okay, Gav, we've had two relatively strong arguments there. Um, I think they're kind of pretty well common arguments really against Tarantino that he uses violence as a gimmick uh which side do you, do you stand on um I'm not going to be too much help I think I'm pretty much agreeing with large parts uh, that both Alex and Dave are saying um so I'd like to say with Alex yeah I do think that there is a bit too much violence in him um when you compare it to Reservoir Dogs uh, I think like there's there's too many kind of as Alex said sporadic bits of violence which don't really necessarily add anything to it but I also agree with what Dave is saying in that I think the dialogue is is very good in it and some of it you know even the unnatural parts of the dialogue 
works quite well. So when the violence kind of um, it interrupts that dialogue, it, is, it adds more of a shock to it. Um, I, I'll agree with what Alex said in that Tarantino has kind of overused a lot of his filming styles. And one of those is, you know, that sort of natural, unnatural dialogue where they're just talking about beggars or just, you know, having normal conversations. But at the time that this film came out, it hadn't been overused, so it was quite original. I mean, just to get that, that scene where they're just all talking about beggars, it's, it's, it's mad to think that hadn't really been seen in a film or, you know, to even think about it in a, in, in a blockbuster uh, film of, of today. Just imagine, like, the Avengers, but, you know, there's, there's a scene where they're all sat around the <laughs> breakfast table all talking about what's the favourite cereal. Uh, you know, it's and that was that was original. Um, and, you know, the fact that you've got to think about it as an indie film. I mean, it was an indie film. It, took, it cost $8.5 to make. Most of that was spent on, on the actors' salaries and 10 million to market and it grossed something like 210 million worldwide so that was you know absolutely incredible um I, I will agree with alex in that there are too many homages um in in the film but i'll also agree with dave in the fact that i think he balanced it with quite um originality and you know you can look at you know the argument that we've said earlier with george lucas use borrowing a lot for star wars well i think Tarantino does borrow a lot here, but he blends it to kind of create his own thing. Um, I will massively disagree with Dave and say that the torture scene was not tastefully done in the slightest <laughs> bit. Um, and also, like one thing that I, I, I think one of the criticisms that's been um, fa- well, Tarantino's faced a lot in his his career is the overuse of uh, racist characters yes. and um, you know the, the N word essentially. And I, I, I can see the use of it in films like The Hateful Eight and um, Django Unchained, but there's a lot of kind of... Yeah, there's, there's a poll or there's a graph. We'll be coming on to it later. Yeah, so I think... I think he uses that as a tool sometimes to create a bad character. You know, this this character is a villain because they use racist language. However, a lot of it is other characters use it quite flippantly. Tarantino, especially, I think his character uses uses the word, and it's it's just unnecessary. There's also a lot of kind of um, homophobia in it as well, just like an undercurrent. It it's all, almost reminds me of you know like kind of the the rap genre of you know like the '90s that was emerging at the time, just kind of like. Um, that, that, that sort of subtle well not even really subtle but you know like kind of uh, underplayed homophobia and racism but it was kind of wrapped up in this kind of cool sort of pop culture reference if that makes sense yes but you know i, I do actually think that a lot of the other characters were really fleshed out so it, you know it's 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 bad so i'm, I'm sort of like uh, on the fence i'm sorry so not adding anything at all there <laughs> I'm used to that. Um, okay. <laughs> Dave, do you, you want to crack on with your next piece? Yeah, I would like to talk about the cast and characters because uh, I think they do all do a great job, really. We've got uh, John Travolta, I think, is a, a good point to start. Now, I don't think he gives the best performance of his career in this film, to be honest with you, but it, he gives a solid performance. And it got him an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor, in fact. Um, you got to bear in mind that John Travolta was really, like, he was Hollywood... 
outcast at this point. He had not worked, I don't think, for a long time. What, what work he had done had not really merited much. He really came back to the front in this to, in this one. I thought John Travolta actually did a really good job. I think the breakout star of this film was Samuel Jackson. Now, he, he had worked before. He'd done quite a few films. I think he'd done Jurassic Park before this one. This was the, what really catapulted him from a character actor, from a supporting actor, to th- this man could be leading man material. This guy has got it. I think the way he delivers his lines is fantastic. I think a lot of the dialogue, like, like Alex says, Tarantino's calling card is overlong dialogue very witty but long-winded monologues and dialogues and that sort of thing you need a very compelling actor to be able to deliver this good and i think that's why he uses samuel jackson so often in his films because samuel jackson can deliver this dialogue and he keeps you entertained he keeps you engrossed i think uma thurman uh, does a very good job she featured in a lot of i think she was the only person to really feature in the marketing material for this film and although it's not a big part, she plays it very well. Again, she was a, a young actress making her way uh, in Hollywood at this point. She actually turned down a lot of big work after this because uh, a lot of people came looking. Ving Rhames, I'd say this was his breakout role as well. I think he plays a great job playing Marcellus Wallace when you think that uh, for the first, I'd say, three quarters of the film, you don't even see his face. He's filmed from behind. Uh, so you just see the back of his head and it's still the, the menace in his voice. You can imagine what, what his facial expressions are. And I think Ving Rhames gives a great performance as some good cameos. I think Eric Stoltz actually does a very good job in this film. I think that uh, Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer in the opening scene actually do a very good job. I think that Christopher Walken uh, has one of the best monologues in the whole thing. You know, Alex was talking about... I, did, I know Alex didn't like it. He was talking about oh, Vietnam. Oh, yeah, watch up the arse. That's Vietnam. I, I wouldn't say that's Vietnam myself, but it's... Uh, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that's what Tarantino thinks. I don't think so. I think it's a real message behind the watch. I think he's uh, talking about Christopher Walken's uh, monologue there, but it's fantastically delivered by Christopher Walken. And again, even though these are long pieces of dialogue, they maintain your attention. They keep you listening because it's that well written and because of the actors that are delivering these lines. The two of those things together really work, really gel, and make a great film. And, you know, Harvey Keitel, I just want to say, I wasn't sure whether to bring him up because I think those insurance adverts have kind of tainted that character a bit now. But we can't hold that against the film or what this character was when he was first envisioned. So, cast. Okay, thanks, Dave. Um, Alex? I'm going to pass it over to you. I know you, that you're going to have a relatively uh, tough job and you can't really deny that those are all kind of a great cast, but I'm sure you've got something bad to say. <laughs> you don't say. So. Impartiality from the judge there. <laughs> say something bad about the film. Uh, I, no, I mean, I, I would sort of agree with the judge there. Uh, at this point in his career, uh, Tarantino was picking some pretty picking cast really well and he was actually like bringing bruce willis in for that role was quite an odd role to, at the time to have brought bruce willis in did it you know good choice i think he saw more in actors than people did at the time so john travolta had sort of wasn't really doing much of a time brings uh brings him in he does a good job dave's right samuel jackson great breakout role Bing Rames, Christopher Walken, Harvey Keitel have, and you know, I will concede this to Dave, I would say their cameos are almost definitive. Like, that's what cameos should be, I think. Their cameos are spot on. They really are. Um, Uma Thurman's not good, that, that good. I didn't think she's particularly good. I don't think she has to do an awful lot on it, and I, I actually don't think Uma Thurman, sorry Uma, is that good an actress. I, 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 and in this, she just plays that sort of, you know, all-knowing delivering her lines quite coldly she that's that's what uma does and i don't think she does a particular good job in this i feel like someone else could have done well but you know i wouldn't say it breaks the film 
However, coming to a point Gav sort of touched on before, you know, you say the Kaitel and Walken cameos are definitive. You know, I'd say you have the best cameos in this film and you also have the worst cameo in this film, which is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> I think his cameo is awful and it's not just his delivery of the lines and it's not just his acting, but it's for the content. I think it's disgusting when he says, you know, did you see a sign outside that said dead N-word storage? Like, I just, like, watched that film again and I was like, I can't, I'd forgotten that he said that. I just think it's an absolutely disgusting thing to say. And I don't think Tarantino doesn't say it. He only uses it to shock. He uses that racist language just to shock people. And I think it's very dated and it's quite disgusting. It really it completely legitimises the use of that word being said by a white man, and it just has no point except to go, <gasps> he said that naughty word, you know, which I, I just think is, it is a pretty bad thing to do. So I would say that his, ta- his cameo is bad and does break that scene. Harvey Keitel comes in and saves it, but he does a really good job of, like, ruining the end of his film there. Um, and I would also say, very minor point, I think... The French girlfriend of Bruce Willis is pretty poor as well. I find her long patch of dialogue pretty tedious. So, uh, so yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. You know, I, I'd, I'd agree with a lot of what Dave said there, but I think he skated over some pretty bad, some pretty big uh, holes in the in the casting characters there as well. Okay, thanks, Alex. Gav, have you got? Oh, quick one from Dave. Just a quick rebuttal, if I may. It's not really a rebuttal. It's a concession. Tarantino is a terrible actor. Tarantino is an atrocious actor um, and this isn't a particularly good performance he's yet to give a decent performance in front of the camera um, and yet this, the use of the n-word is excessive it is excessive but I don't think it's just for shock value I think the reason uh, Tarantino's had to defend his use of the word many a time to be honest with you and is there really a defense for, uh, for such a terrible word the way he uses it is it's not purely for shock value it's realistic dialogue the word is out there and the word is used. And I think when he puts it into his scripts, he's doing it to provide a sense of realism, that this is how some people speak this way. They use this word. Some people use it in, in a context which is um, completely unacceptable. Actually, everyone uses it in a context completely <laughs> unacceptable, to be honest with you. But it's it's not purely about shock value. I think that's a bit of a cheap trick if it was for that. And I think the, the reason he does it is, like I say, realism because this word is used people do say it no i i, I would disagree with that i don't i think maybe it makes it seem realistic but it shouldn't and that is legit that is legitimizing the use of that word okay gav do you want to put in um yeah yeah i would uh so i think i'm more leaning towards dave with this one uh, just because a lot of the actors in the film give a tremendous performance um i will admit that I agree with Alex in that John Travolta and Uma Thurman don't give the best performances, but I don't think that's that they're not really, although they're the main characters, they're not the film essentially. I think the the rest of the cast give such great performances that it kind of glosses over um, Thurman and, and um, Travolta's. It's it, I'm trying to think of another film where essentially like the, the support and cast made the film and it wasn't about the leads so it's it, yeah, but I can't think of a film I, what I'll do is I'll patch one in later on <laughs> to make myself sound really wise uh, I think Samuel L. Jackson was incredible um, there was there was a, a rumour well it, it's a fact that um, he delivered an audition and he was nailed on for the for the part in fact I think the part was written with him in mind because yeah. he'd auditioned for a role in Reservoir Dogs 
And then somebody came in, I can't remember the actor's name. Paul Calderon. That was him. And auditioned for uh, Samuel L. Jackson's part. And Tarantino was wavering. He was like, oh, actually, this guy gave an amazing audition so Samuel L. Jackson flew back yeah. irate delivered another audition just to get it and, and he did in the end so I mean I, I think it was yeah it, I, t- I can't think of any other actor in that role um, I think Bruce Willis as you said was another great addition to the cast um, until then he was seen more as like a, a sort of action star so to get such a big name because he was a big name at that at that point in time to get him in the cast was a bit of a was a bit of a um, you know, funny thing. A coup. <laughs> yeah. A coup. <laughs> so I'm trying to do too valuable many things at the same though. time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a valuable input in a minute. Um, so yeah, uh, Ving Rhames, uh, Christopher Walken, you know, Christopher Walken, yeah, I think he delivers a great speech, even if, as, as Alex said, the context is slightly off. And as, as Alex conceded as well, I think the cameos absolutely make it, but I will admit that Tarantino's cameo is awful and it does detract massively from that scene, if not the last third of the film, quarter of the film. And I can't actually agree with with what, what you were saying there, Dave. I think what it is is that Tarantino was a massive fan of black exploitation films, and I think maybe he's trying to write uh, that sort of character. You know, like it's it's sort of it's you know that's what cool characters say. You know, like they're unafraid of using slayers mm. and. You know, maybe that's what it was maybe it's just a case of he wanted to write it just so he could say it as Alex said just so he could shock people to be like oh my god did he just say that I just think there was no no real use for it it didn't add anything to his character it didn't take anything away from his well it did take away something from him as an actor but it it just had nothing um, to give to the the character if that makes sense he he just it was just it was flippant and unnecessary and it didn't add anything to the film, and it detracted from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, apart from his poor performance, I think the rest of the cast, apart from Thurman and Travolta, gave gave a really good performance. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Gav. Has anyone got anything else they would like to say, or should we go to closing statement? I'm happy to do closing. Yeah, okay, so Dave, you can go first. Give you a minute whenever you're ready. Okay. Yep, I just want to talk about this film then. So this is a landmark in American cinema. There's no denying that. It was uh, selected for preservation by the National Film Registry. It won multiple Oscars, got nominated for more. Um, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. It is referred to as a cultural watershed, I think, by Gene Siskel, I think it was. And... Is it overrated based on the back of these? You know what? In this day and age, yes, maybe it is. When this came out in 1994, it was all these things. It was massive. These days, looking back at it, we've had many imitators come along the way, many people trying to aspire to Pulp Fiction, and it's made a bit bit of a parody of it. Is it overrated? Perhaps a little, but it's still a great film, even when you take away the hype. The performances are good, the script is even better, and I think, you know, Tarantino should stay behind the camera definitely or at his writing desk not in front of it but despite of that what you've got here is a masterpiece and it's tarantino's opus there's no denying this is a good film even if you do think it's overrated okay thanks for that dave alex are you ready i am ready okay well it seemed a little unfair but 
that, that was the closing gun for Dave's minute. Oh, okay, great. Okay, Alex, ready, set, go. Okay, um, Dave's right. This probably was a landmark film. It has been incredibly influential. However, I, I would say that it took cinema in a, into places which I'd prefer it hadn't, actually. I, I don't think it's been influential in a particularly good way. I don't think all influence is... Uh, like I say, I do think there's a gimmick in this that Tarantino created and he just went over and over and over with the building up the tension, overstars dialogue, sadism to wake up the audience and to keep the film going until the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. I think if you, you don't even have to look at the legacy of Pulp Fiction just in in cinema in general, you just need to look at what Tarantino went on to make to see that actually this film's influence has been pretty poor. Uh, I think Django Unchained is absolutely awful. I think its treatment of its subject is really, really flippant. Uh, flippant is a really good word that Gav used. He's just flippant with everything. The guy's watched too many films and he hasn't read enough actual histories about the subjects that he's, he's dealing with. So, like I say, slavery, Spike Lee was right, it's not a spaghetti western, the Holocaust is not a World War II adventure. Pulp Fiction shit. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've got to disregard everything after the game. <laughs> okay, Gav, have you got a, a little quiz for us? I do have a little quiz for us. So, <laughs> everybody listen up, because this week's is, is, is all right, actually. <laughs> well, stay tuned, guys. <laughs> so, uh, so, this week's quiz is called Pulp Fact, Pulp Fiction. Oh, nice. You like that one? So, nice, it's uh, nice. sort of like a true or false sort of thing yeah, you like that uh, no I get it yeah, yeah good 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 um, so oh, I've got a quiz song as well uh, scramble together at the last minute while you two are delivering your uh, your closing <laughs> statements okay uh, you ready yep uh, <laughs> fuck's sake they're gonna put me in the movies they're gonna make a big star out of me <laughs> we'll make a film about a man that's sad and lonely and all I gotta do is pull factually oh <laughs> please if anybody uh listen to that tune in next week i promise i'll make more of an effort <laughs> okay so basically i'm gonna read out eight statements and you've got to tell me if they are pulp facts or pulp fiction okay so first one Fred Williamson was originally set to play Marcellus, but didn't agree with the torture scene, so Ving Rhames was cast instead. Is that Pulp Fact or Pulp Fiction? Sounds plausible, but I'm going to say Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fact. Uh, I'll go with Fact. I'm going to say Fiction. Okay, so well done, Dave and Joel. It was Pulp Fiction. It was false. It was actually supposed to go to Max Julian, who played Goldie in the black exploitation film The Mac. Okay. I also heard Sid Haig was rumored with it at one point, but he he turned it down. Oh well, thank you very much, Dave. <laughs> but keep your opinions to yourself. Pop opinion. Pop opinion. Okay, uh, number two. It was actually Harvey Keitel who convinced his friend Bruce Willis to take the part of Butch in the film. Pulp Fact or Pulp Fiction, Dave? Um, again, sounds plausible, but I'm going to say Pulp Fiction again. Pulp Fact. I'm going to go Fact. I'm going to go Fact as well. Okay, well done everyone but Dave. No. <laughs> it is a pub fact. Uh, so Willis was a massive fan of Reservoir Dogs and Keitel had already been cast in the film, obviously. Uh, so Keitel was the one who convinced him to join the project. Okay, number three. The word fuck is said 265 times. Pub fact or pub fiction? Um, uh, 
it sounds realistic, but I'm going to say Pulp Fiction again. Pulp Fact. I'm going to go Fiction. I'm sure the the record is Wolf of Wall Street, and I don't even think it's that high, so I'm going to go Fiction. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Fiction as well. That sounds like a Limp Biscuit song. <laughs> I, I see was coincidentally eating a Limp Biscuit, and that's where I could get his answer on, probably. <laughs> right, uh, uh, right. Okay, I can't remember who said what, but uh, the word fuck is said 265 hey. times. Um, so, oh yeah, Dave, you got it wrong, so screw you. Um, <laughs> it, it was the record holder for many, many years. Uh, Paul, um, you, you're right though, Joel, Wolf of Wall Street is number one at the moment. And I think that's something like 300 odd. Jesus. Uh, anyway, uh, number four, uh, <laughs> um, the bad motherfucker wallet actually belonged to Samuel L. Jackson. Pulp fact or pulp fiction, Dave? Pulp fiction. <laughs> pulp, sorry, I think I know this pulp fiction. Pulp fiction. Everyone else seems pretty confident. I'm going to say <laughs> fiction as well. <laughs> Okay, Alex, why are you so confident? I think it belonged to Quentin Tarantino. Uh, no, so the, it so uh, it's actually Pulp Fact. Um, the wallet right. belonged to Samuel L. Jackson. He was a massive fan of Shaft, uh, which is what the wallet references. And coincidentally, he later went on to play Shaft in the film adaptation. Mm. So, yeah. Shaft. <laughs> <laughs> That's also your porn soon, isn't it, Mr. John? <laughs> Anyway, number five, Daniel Day-Lewis really wanted to play Vincent Vega, but Tarantino picked John Travolta over him. Pulp Fact or Pulp Fiction? I've heard that Daniel Day-Lewis was the studio's choice, so I'm going to say Pulp Fact. I'm going to say Pulp Fiction. I'll go with Dave Fact. I'll say Fiction. Thanks, so. Well, it's actually Pulp Fact. Shit. Yeah, so uh, Taylor was actually really wanted to be in the film. And it, you, you, you're right there, whoever said it, I think it was Dave. Uh, Weinstein yeah. was <clears throat> producing and he wanted Daniel Day-Lewis involved to add some star quality to it because he just recently won a Best Actor for My Left Foot. But Tarantino was like, nah, Travolta's a better actor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Regardless of what the Oscars say. <laughs> Okay, number six, David Carradine auditioned for a role in the film. Although he was unsuccessful, Tarantino was so impressed by his audition that he wrote the part of Bill in Kill Bill specifically for him. Um, Pulp fact or Pulp Fiction? Pulp fact. Pulp fact. Fiction. I'm going to say fact as well. Okay, well done, Joel. It is Pulp Fiction. Well done, Joel. Um, So Pam Greer actually auditioned for a role in the film, and the same goes for her. You know, she was unsuccessful, but Tarantino was so uh, impressed by her audition that he wrote Jackie Brown with her in mind. Okay, number seven. uh, uh, Podcast favourite Dick Miller filmed a brief scene playing Monster Joe, the owner of the junkyard where Wolf disposes the bloody car. However, Miller's scene was cut from the movie. Pulp fact or Pulp Fiction? Dave? Uh, I'd love that to be true, but I think that's got to be Pulp Fiction. I'm with Dave, Pulp Fiction. Fact. Uh, Fiction. And once again, Joel is right, it's Pulp Fact! Dick Miller! He's so good at playing Dick Miller. Uh, it's it's a pulp fact, it's a pulp fact. This can be found on deleted scenes on the DVD release. So... 
get boning, guys. Uh, and number eight. I actually think uh, I've seen context that scene now. to that statement. <laughs> I actually think I've seen that scene. It's Have just you? coming back to me. <laughs> and number eight, last one, is Michael Parks, another Tarantino regular, filmed an uncredited cameo as a long-haired coffee shop yuppie. Pulp fact or pulp fiction? Uh, I'm going to say pulp fiction. Pulp fiction too. Mm, fiction. Joel said fiction, I'm saying fiction. <laughs> yeah, well done, Joel. You're on fire. That Joel. is pulp fiction. <laughs> Lawrence it. Bender, who is the film's producer and frequent Tarantino collaborator, actually filmed that. And coincidentally, that is what Joel's porn pseudonymous. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Okay, so the verdicts. Um, okay, so the, the things... I did agree with with both parts, to be fair, but I think... Overall, you know, I'm just going to cut to the chase. It, it's going to go on the hit list, but there were a few things that I, I agreed with uh, from Alex. And, you know, I do think a lot of it, though, is kind of based on when you've watched Tarantino afterwards, you know, like his more recent films. Whereas if you watched it, you know, Pulp Fiction at the time, I think maybe you wouldn't feel that way. I think after you've watched, you know, things like Django Unchained and. Uh, especially uh, the hateful eight. There's a shitload of uh, the things Alex has mentioned mm. in there, um, like the really long-winded dialogue and and all that type of thing. And I think after you've you've seen all those films, you, you maybe feel a little bit different about this one, or at least I do anyway. Um, but overall, you know, I think it, it would be very difficult to to put a film like this on on the shit list. I, I I would agree with a lot of what Joel said there, to be honest. And <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's looking back. So if, I think if you judge the film when you first saw it, yeah, Pulp Fiction, yeah, it is pretty. It is a good film. I I still agree with most. I, I agree with everything I said there. Uh, and and I do think when you think about the Ving Rhames scene, the rape scene at the end, that is pointless and completely just done for shock value. He is a he is a, a director that just goes out to shock and. Yeah, I don't like him. Yeah, I have to agree. I think Tarantino is a long way from infallible. He makes a lot of mistakes, and he's made some bad films. When you think he's only made eight of them, I think he's only made eight films or so, and he's had some howlers in there, to be honest with you. Mm. He's he's not infallible by any stretch of the imagination, but this is his opus, and this was pretty good, to be honest with you. I have to say, I don't understand the hype with Tarantino. I, I absolutely loved Reservoir Dogs, and it's probably in my top ten films, but after that, I could probably... Take them or leave them, to be honest. I think Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction were huge and highly successful, you know, and then they are good films. Um, but it, there's been a, a lot of missteps since, to be honest Jangle with you. and Chained and Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, I quite enjoyed those, I have to admit. I did quite like those. But um, I think the, the Kill Bill films were overrated. Death mm. Proof was an absolute... I don't even want to use the word I was about to use. It's absolute... No, how do you feel about um, you considering Kurt Russell's... I think yeah. if you took Kurt Russell out of it, it would be a lot worse than it was. <laughs> really? <laughs> Is that possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Death no, proof. no, no. Sorry, I meant all of all of the films with Kurt Russell. <laughs> Death Proof as well. <laughs> Death Proof is one of the worst films ever made. Yeah. yeah. And with Kurt Russell out of the picture, it would have been the worst film ever made. <laughs> anyway, right. So um, what do you reckon it got out of IMDb? Um, I'm going to say like 9.2. No, I, oh, I'd say 8.2. Seven. Joel? Um, nine. Austin? Uh, I'm going to say 8.3. Well, it is in IMDb's top 250 films of all time. It rates 8.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Nice. Um, now, the real question is, 
um, higher or lower than our previous film, which was Jingle All the Way. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to say marginally higher. It might be so critically acclaimed, I suppose. Yeah, okay. And Alex, um, before we move on, um, do you have any trivia that wasn't covered in the quiz? I do have some trivia that wasn't covered in the quiz. I wasn't going to say it, but um, yeah, apparently when John Travolta went into, he had some obstacles about uh, doing Vincent Vega. Uh, he was a bit worried about, you know, he'd never been a heroin addict and he wanted to sort of show being a heroin addict. And, you know, he, so he, I think Quentin Tarantino put him in touch with someone who had been an addict and they were discussing, like, how, you know, how to portray it. And the Tarantino's friend said, if you want to, if you want to get the bottom of the envelope feeling, go to, get plastered on tequila and go and lie down in a hot pool. And apparently, like, John Travolta was absolutely, like, made up that for research for Pulp Fiction, him and his wife got into, like, a hot tub, basically, and just got um, hammered on tequila. So, yeah, he was... Uh, that's how he prepared for that role. <laughs> I did read that while I was while I was writing the quiz, and I was thinking, so all of us here in this room have essentially experienced what it's like to be on heroin. So <laughs> <laughs> we do it every lads weekend. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, everyone. Um, so uh, just before we move on, um, we have a caption contest. Uh, so what I did is I took a still from the film. It is a still of Uma Thurman and John Travolta dancing. Uma Thurman's got her arm lifted, uh, and John Travolta is looking away as if there's a bit of a nasty pong coming from her armpit. Uh, so, um, overwhelming response to this one with one. Um, so, uh, so, there's a Freddo bar on the way. So, there's a Freddo bar on the way to Wisden Castle um, for their comment of, uh, Mia, what's that smell? Lovely. Well done. So, well done. That's all it took. That's all you need. So, uh, you know, yeah. So, jokes on everybody who didn't write a caption because uh, Wisden Castle is going to receive a special festive Freddo bar that isn't like the, the usual Freddo bars that What's are set different? Out. Has it got a Santa hat on? It's got popping candy in it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hey, that's right. Christmas has come. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, as I was going to say, we have drawn the next film out of the hat at random and it is... The Super Mario Brothers film. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah. So also while this show has been on, we've drawn the roles at random. <sighs> well, oh, so in the role of judge is going to be Alex. Mm. In the role of defense is going to be me. <laughs> in the role of prosecution is going to be Joel. And in the role of character witness is going to be Captain Dave. So looking forward to that one, guys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, I just want to say thank you very much for everyone who's listened uh, to this one and to all of our other shows. Um, you can catch all of our previous shows on our website, www.filmsontrial.co.uk. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, Film Trials. Uh, so please why don't you go on give us a like give us a share a subscribe why don't you suggest a film to be put in the hat we will put it in and we will review it at some point also while you're on twitter check out our friends austin ray and winston sang at aussie ray and at the underscore quirks respectively and you will see all of winston's previous artwork there that he's done for our shows Uh, i think the pulp fiction one is probably one of my favorites to be honest me too (laughs) Uh, so a contender for the 2018 best uh, picture i think there Uh, so yeah uh, so check us out on facebook check us out on youtube check us out on everything just type in films on trial on google you'll find us anyway thank you very much and happy 2018 everybody and we'll be in your is next week with the Super Mario Brothers. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.